Summer Smash podcast with Bernie Mac and the Beaver. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to the Summer Smash podcast, your podcast dedicated to the Big Bash League, and we're up to episode number 10. I'm your host, Bernie Mack, and I'm joined on the line, as always, by the man in the West. We know him as The Beaver, but uh, you'll find him on Twitter at Robert Double underscore Beaver. How are you today, Rob? Very, very well, Bernie. Excited uh, for episode 10, and just like a lot of the Big Bash cricketers, you really should celebrate by getting uh, to double figures, and that's what we've done. We've brought in uh, our sixth man, or our twelfth man, I guess would be the, uh, the technical term, uh, to come in and have a chat with us. So, a big celebration on episode 10, and uh, looking forward to you introducing uh, our guest, and, and we can have a bit of a, a more in-depth discussion with uh, somebody far more qualified than you or I to, to talk about cricket. Yeah, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we have a very special guest on the line with us for our 10th episode. Uh, it is Paul Dennett. He's a uh, cricket broadcaster and host of the uh, the Big Smash podcast. Uh, Paul, welcome to the Summer Smash podcast. Thanks, Bernie. Thanks, Rob. Great to be here. Didn't know it was such an auspicious occasion. Your tenth show. That's, um, that's magnificent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, Got to make sure we count to ten using all our fingers and toes. But uh, look, it's been a huge summer of cricket, and uh, we were treated to a doubleheader in the BBL uh, on Saturday night, and that all got underway down there at the MCG uh, with the Sydney Thunder flying in to uh, take on the hapless uh, Melbourne Stars. And uh, look, th- this game was a bit of a whitewash. It, uh, I mean, the Stars only managed to get to 147 and the Thunder chased it down uh, in just over 16 overs. Um, obviously Kawaja and Watson doing the damage in this one, but uh, keeps the Thunder's slim finals chances alive there, Rob. Uh, you got it right, Bernie. Slim is the uh, the, the ultimate word here, and uh, I, we'll get to this probably a little bit later on. I don't think they'll end up making it, but ha- having a look at a couple of things here, this really, despite facing the Stars, is really not a, a comprehensive performance, I guess, with the bowl. Um, for the, the Sydney Thunder, obviously, obviously with the bat, they ran it down in just over 16 overs, so plenty of time to spare there, which is great. But yeah, the, with the ball, they weren't perhaps as convincing as I would have liked. We saw Hanscom get off for 57 at the top of the order. Um, Gotch sort of had a little bit of resistance in the middle there. There wasn't a whole heap of winners on the day for the Stars, as we've come to expect. Uh, Glenn Maxwell, one off three. Oh, I can't wait to get um, Paul's thoughts a little bit later on on Glenn Maxwell. And it's something that we've said all throughout, um, I guess, our on podcasting, Bernie, is that Glenn Maxwell, especially on this team with, you know, Zampa, Bourne and, and Stoinis has been on representative duties as well. He's really had an opportunity to sort of take this team by the scruff of the neck and, and be that guy who, you know, maybe can face 60 or 70 deliveries every night because their batting stocks just haven't been able to get it done. But he really hasn't been able to, to do that so far. Paul, can I invite you in and, and get your thoughts on, on Glenn Maxwell and, and his big bash tournament so far? He's had a couple of different starts from memory, so, you know, around that 20 to 30 mark, but he really hasn't been able to, to excel, uh, I think, as much as someone had hoped for a guy with a name that big. Yeah, I agree. He, he hasn't had a terrible tournament. He's averaged um, about 30, which is pretty good, and he's got one of the... He's still got about the fifth or sixth or seventh highest strike rate in the overall tournament. So for another player, you'd say that's that's very decent. For But as you say, for someone as good as him, it was an opportunity for him to really uh, make his mark on the tournament, particularly when he's got a point to prove to the Australian selectors. Uh, but I'm, I've always been a Glenn Maxwell fan. I, I hope that the, the, the omission from the one-day side has served its purpose and that he will um, be, be soon back representing Australia, hopefully in all three forms of the game, uh, because he's such a such a wonderful player and he, he, he bowls a bit and fields a bit as well. So not, not the worst tournament, but yeah, 
And, and just while we're on the Melbourne Stars now, I never like to kick a team when they're down. But one thing I would have to be really critical of this year with the Stars is the captaincy of uh, John Hastings. Uh, I think particularly some of the bowling decisions at particular times of the games, and for most games that we've seen, they've often gone with the, almost seven bowlers, uh, not not the regular guys are bowling they're all, all four overs sometimes you'll see guys with lower economy rates they're not finishing their four overs uh, Paul what I wanted to ask you is how did you see how do you see the, the captaincy of the Melbourne Stars obviously figuring in the way that they've performed this year yeah I've noticed that as well um, I mean I noticed even in this game James Faulkner uh, only bowled the two overs um, he went for seven, run, seven runs per over he's had a, a few of those instances during the tournament where I remember one game they gave I think Scott four overs and he got um, absolutely smashed all over the place and and left Faulkner there, not getting the not getting the full compliment. So it's difficult though when um, when you're losing matches in a, in a T20 tournament. There's not much you can do as a captain. So it's um, I wouldn't like to be too critical of him. And, and Paul, I also just wanted to get your thoughts. There was uh, that moment in the in the uh, Thunder and Stars game where I can't remember the name of the the Stars fielder, but he he, he looked like he took a catch and he was sort of he caught the ball as he was rolling forward and he, he had control of the ball for the first roll, but as he's completed the second roll, the ball's popped out and and he certainly hasn't appealed for the catch. Uh, I, that was an interesting one. I was, I was down there watching it this one at the pub with, with the guys, and when we saw the slow mo replay of it, there was at least fifty percent of the camp thought that it should have been a catch, and at least fifty percent of the people who thought. Uh, it was a drop ball. How did, how did you see that one? Well, it instantly uh, recalled to mind the famous incident of Steve Waugh in the 1999 World Cup where he got um, caught at, uh, I think it was by Herschel Gibbs, at sort of short mid on, short mid wicket, and Gibbs went to celebrate, and as he tried to throw the ball up, he incorrectly threw the ball away. So I must admit, my knowledge of the laws hasn't been updated since 1999, but I distinctly remember David Gower in commentary saying, no, you have to have control of the subsequent distribution of the ball it's not good enough just to have, have control of the catch you have to have control of what you do with it after so on the assumption that the law hasn't changed um, since then uh, I, I think that it was correctly ruled and no, no catch and for the second double for the second game of the double header we um, headed across to wa it was the scorchers hosting the uh, red hot hurricanes who have found themselves in finals contention uh, the hurricanes managed to get 167 on the board uh, but the scorchers uh, impressive as always they managed to chase this one down uh, in the 19th over rob yeah, the Perth Scorchers, Bernie, I told you, don't bet against them, especially at the uh, the Wacker. It'll be interesting, and I'm sure we'll touch on the Perth Stadium a little bit later, but if they do end up getting uh, that home final, which it looks like they will at this point, it might even be, quote-unquote, an away game uh, for the Perth Scorchers, given the fact that they've only played, I think, once or twice tiny little warm-up games in the preparation to BBL 07 there. But, yeah, look, 167 against the Scorchers in Perth is actually a pretty respectable total. I think with the Renegades, when they came over early in the year, made 175. I can't remember... Uh, another team going, you know, over maybe 150. There's been plenty of teams that have come here and been bowled out for, for less than 120. So in that sense, the Hurricanes played really well. Uh, Darcy Short, though, was the big wicket. Uh, caught Agar off the bowling of Kelly for just 11 runs on 13 deliveries. We all know how important Darcy Short has been uh, to the top of the order for these Hurricanes as well. And I wanted to point this out as well, Bernie. You may remember... Uh, I think it was Jofra Archer came in in the game that they played um, before they played the Scorchers. I can't remember who it was against. Uh, and we actually said, why would you put in Jofra Archer as good as he's been at times this tournament when you had a guy like Matthew Wade who's had international experience, maybe able to, to own those bigger moments a little bit more towards the end of the innings. And, and they moved Matthew Wade up to the top and he made 31, which, as I say, against the Scorchers at the Wacker is actually probably one of the better totals uh, that we've seen this season. So I thought it was really interesting that they moved Matty Wade up the order, Bernie. 
Yeah, well, he, they, they left him in the sheds uh, for the last game. I thought that was a bit of a head-scratcher. Um, now, just before we jump into the next section, uh, Rob, you and I had a few little bets running over the weekend. How did you manage to fare? Yeah, I did all right, Bernie. I, I had the Scorchers outright at a dollar seventy-three. That was my only bet I've discovered. I'm two of two, ironically, when I only placed one bet at the time. Uh, so I think I might keep doing that. So I ended up pocketing 17 bucks there. So my net position for the entire tournament is negative 30 cents. So I'm almost back where I started, Bernie. What about you? <laughs> um, I think I fared, I fared uh, picked a winner in both games. So I had uh, 10 on the Thunder for the win and 10 on the Scorchers for the win. Um, I'd also put uh, $10 on the Hurricanes to hit the most sixes. But unfortunately, with Darcy Shaw uh, just getting the 11 runs off the 13 balls, I think that bet went out the window. So I think I finished about plus five or six bucks for the weekend not too bad at all for you bernie considering you're usually going backwards at about 40 bucks a time so, so you can do uh, a lot worse but just to, to sort of wrap up the scorchers game as you mentioned your bet was the hurricanes in there as well it's not very often that you're going to get sam whiteman gone for one i think in his first game of bbl 07 michael klinger made 17 hilton cartwright who's been a rock in that sort of early middle order 17 adam voges for 11 Ashton Turner and, and Cameron Bancroft. And we all know what Cameron Bancroft can do. He started out all right in the Ashes series. I, I think he uh, got the, the better of him a little bit as the, the series went on. Uh, and I guess as it became less important that he actually stand up because it didn't really seem like the Australians needed any uh, desperate acts of, uh, you know, staying at the crease or anything like that to, to win the Ashes. But we've seen this time and time again from the Scorchers. It doesn't matter who's in or out of this team. They seem to be able to find players who stand up and, uh, ironically, a lot of the time it's been guys from this middle order, your Cartwrights, your Turners, your Agars. Uh, so it bodes really well for the Scorchers going forward, Bernie. Now, today we had some breaking news. And uh, look, I've really been look, uh, looking forward to breaking this down on the podcast to, tonight. And um, Paul, obviously the news broke today at 2.30. The Cricket Australia announced the T20 side for the Trans-Tasman Tri-Series, uh, which is going to be held between Australia, New Zealand and England. Um, now, inside that squad, it consists predominantly uh, of Australian uh, big bash players. Now, I'll just go through and I'll read out the teams and... Uh, uh, then, uh, Paul, I'll get your thoughts on it. Um, captaining the squad, we got David Warner, Aaron Finch from the Melbourne Renegades, Ashton Agar from the Perth Scorchers. we got Alex Carey from the Adelaide Strikers, uh, Ben Dershaw f- from the Sydney Sixers, Travis Head from the Strikers, uh, Lynn from the Heat, Maxwell from the Stars, Richardson from the Scorchers, Darcy Short from the Hobart Hurricanes, Billy Stanlake from the Strikers, Stoinis from the Stars, Ty from the Scorchers, and Zampa from the Stars. What did you think of, what did you think of the, that uh, side, Paul? Any surprises in there for you? Well, I suppose the, the the talking points are firstly that once again we've got a, an Australian representative side that is missing, by definition, many players who, who would otherwise come into contention because of the packed scheduling and because we're prioritising prioritizing the South Africa Test Series uh, over this T20 International Series. On that point, I, mean, I love Test cricket and I, I really want us to do well in South Africa, but I am concerned about the fact that the rest of the world cares more about international T20 cricket than we do. They're already talking of the world T20s as though they are World Cups. Australia has never won one. We are going to have to start taking this format seriously at some stage. We're hosting the next World T20 in October of 2020. So there must come a time when we really start to, to take it seriously. But in terms of the squad itself, my um, I, was, I was really surprised that Ashton Turner 
wasn't selected. I think that's um, – there, there are other takeouts that I have, but that's the one that um, I, I can't fathom. I've seen Ashton Agar in the press saying it's because Turner's um, shoulder injury is preventing him from bowling and preventing him from throwing. Well, I mean, you know, m- maybe there was something to, to that, but his, his performance in the, in the big bash, he's averaging 50, um, and he's – uh, the second highest strike rate in the entire tournament, or basically take out Simon Malenko, who's had one beginning. He's got the highest strike rate in the tournament. I would definitely have picked him. Now, certainly as a fan, uh, one thing that really got my back up today was to see, obviously, like great for all the guys that got named uh, in the side. Obviously, we they all want to play and represent their country. But the first game for the Australian T20 side has been scheduled for February the 3rd. Now, that falls smack bang in the middle of the BBL 07 finals. How on earth, Paul, did Cricket Australia get this so wrong and get the Australian side playing right in the middle of the BBL finals weekend? I think to be fair to them, it is very difficult to schedule that you've got, um, you know, so many different priorities that we, the fans, don't often see that if you don't do this at a certain time, then another country won't come here at a certain time. And it is, it's, um, it's a very, very complex jigsaw puzzle. And I think they've also taken the viewpoint that they are always going to uh, do what's right for the international, uh, for, the, for the national team. And if, if occasionally that leads to, you know, disappointing outcomes for the Big Bash, so be it. So I understand where they're coming from, but I really think an exception could have been made here, even to the point of, you know, that first game in the Tri-Series is at the SCG. So um, they could surely have said that the players can play in the Big Bash final and play in that game. It's, a, it, it's you know, what's the matter commute? It's a, a five-hour flight back from Perth to Sydney, if that's where it is. That's doable. Players are playing day after day of tough test, tough test cricket, their bodies will handle it. And if they want to say, well, we want to make sure that we prioritise the international team above all else, well, they're already having a side that's missing half the test players. So I would have liked to see them make a change. Now, certainly one, one of the storylines I've been keeping an eye on here is the Hobart Hurricanes. They are the, the favourite team of the, the Summer Smash podcast. <laughs> I think this Australian call-up is going to hit them the hardest. I think, obviously, they, they've had a Cinderella uh, run and potentially playing in the finals. Now, obviously, that's on, on the back of Darcy Short. He scored 500-plus runs uh, this season. Uh, obviously, a huge, huge part of, of the Hurricane success. And, and to think that a player like that is not going to be available when they're going for a chance to, to, win, a, to win a BBL title. I really think that's um, that's going to be tough on the fans, Rob. It's a good point you make, Bernie, because if you take a look at the team rankings here, the Hobart Hurricanes, and I pointed this out on our, our last show, but the Hurricanes actually have the most runs in the entire BBL. They're at uh, 1,503 at the moment. They're about 150 or so ahead of the Sydney Thunder. In last place, the Melbourne Renegades, just over 1,000. You take out Darcy Short's 504, and all of a sudden you're on 999 runs if you're the Hobart Hurricanes. And we saw that even without Darcy Short actually scoring heavily, only made the 13, as we just said, against the Scorchers, that they can competitive totals. But there's a difference, I guess, between being competitive and being in the box seat. And I think for a team like the Hurricanes, who were on a really good run of form leading into that game against the Scorchers, and now, obviously, with Darcy Short going out, it's going to be interesting to see what they do. We, As I said, they've moved Matty Wade up the order and tried to mix things up a little bit. I don't know if this is, in part, the Hurricanes' way of sort of saying, look, we, well, everyone knew that they were going to lose him. Is it a way of saying, you know what, maybe we need to try and mix things up now and get a few pay, players in different positions to see what works for us ahead of the finals and see if we can actually cover this loss as best we can because if they didn't and, and, and Darcy Short just goes straight out of this lineup, uh, I'm not sure how they're, they're going to handle As I said, he's a 
understating it to say that he's a hugely important part of what the Hurricanes have been able to do for the past six or seven matches. And I certainly think one of the other teams that's going to hit the hardest is the Adelaide Strikers. Uh, they're going to be without uh, Alex Carey, uh, Billy Stanlake, and uh, Travis Head for that final series. Uh, I mean, do, does this put a question mark next to the Adelaide Strikers for you, Paul? Um, it's certainly not going to help because I think that Alex Carey been, has been fantastic for them. Uh, Billy Stanlake, especially if, they, if they're playing the final, if they make it at the Adelaide Oval, I think he's really suited to bowling at the Adelaide Oval. Uh, and of course... I'd, Travis Head is a champion player, so it would certainly weaken them significantly. And I agree um, with you, Rob, that taking out Darcy Short, if you had to name one player taking out from one team in the whole competition you, that would have the biggest effect on a team, I think it would, pro- would probably be him. And so, as I said, it's such a pity that Cricket Australia can't say, hey, let's for the final be a little bit funky and let all the players play and catch a few extra flights and, and everything will be OK. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a real head-scratcher. I, I think it's going to be... Um I, I think it will it will take away from what could potentially be a, a huge spectacle uh, for the wrap-up of BBL 07. And uh, I, I think, for, for me personally as a fan, I mean, if, if my team was in that uh, in that finals mix and um, I, I wasn't able to put the, the best uh, the team on the park, you know, particularly after following my team all season, going all my home games, I'd certainly feel uh, a bit let down. Um, how, how would you feel, Rob, as a, as a Scorcher supporter? I'd feel let down as well, and I'm glad you you've just thrown to me because it's going to sort of turn my attention to Paul. The Big Bash, we're going back, what, six, seven years ago, however long ago it was, but this was never meant to be, I guess, arguably in some people's mind, the pinnacle of the summer. It was never meant to be something that's caught on as much as it did. And Channel 10, we all know that the, the broadcasting rights for this are basically they're paying, you know, one cent for every $18,000 that they get back in revenue for it. It's blown up into something that not even Cricket Australia could have, in their wildest dreamed hope, that it would have become. And we mentioned all these sort of conflicting um, priorities, as you mentioned, with Cricket Australia and the conflicting scheduling issues, and that's been a problem for so long. But with the TV rights up for grabs soon, whoever takes on these rights, Paul, surely they're going to say to Cricket Australia, we don't want international test matches, international T20 matches on at the same time, and, and I guess competing with these big bash matches if they're going to pay millions and millions of dollars for these TV broadcasting rights. So do you have any idea on on what Cricket Australia are going to do or is this just really a matter where anyone who's not directly involved in these decisions is going to have to sit back and say, whatever they do, they're buggered. So slip a coin and, you know, pick the lesser of two evils. Yeah, it's a great question. And you're right that it's a victim of its own success. Seven or eight years ago, these discussions would have just sounded fanciful. It would have, of course, we'd pick the Australian team. Who cares about a, a domestic little tournament? And now um, it, it's completely the other way around. I, I think that if the TV station who ultimately gets the rights uh, in the negotiations would definitely be saying that because it is an insult to the fans. As you said, if, if someone's been going to every game, every game on television and suddenly at the climax of the tournament, your, your best players are removed, you think, well, what's the point of why am I investing so much time and energy into this? But I suppose Cricket Australia would be aware of this and they'd be very keen to to work a way around it. But as I said, the, the schedule is very, very difficult. That one option would be to uh, remove the uh, January one-day games and, and put them earlier in the season to October or something like that. But that that's probably something that a fan would say, but Cricket Australia would say, well, um, you know, the January one-day is still rate enormously well. Um, in October, we've got other commitments. Uh, we've kind of got no choice. So... I'm sure there'll be some toing and froing, and hopefully they can come up with a solution that works. So it's going to be certainly interesting to see what happens. Paul, I also wanted to, to get your thoughts on this. The Sheffield Shield season, we all know Big Bash finishes it and, and players go back to the Sheffield Shield soon. But is it an option with all this clutter in the schedule over 
December and January over the summer, is it possible that they can say, do you know what, let's just push the Sheffield Shield season back a little bit and maybe go, okay, when there are, for example, Ashes matches or Test matches or one-day internationals, we don't schedule Big Bash games on those days or that series of day, and yet that will extend the tournament a little bit. But just by pushing back that Sheffield Shield, is that a possible solution? I think there are different things that need to be considered. I think part of the success of the Big Bash is the fact that it's in the school holidays, and I think Cricket Australia are very acutely aware of that. But at the end of the day, surely it's better to have you know games on the weekends, even once school goes back, uh, and actually get people there and maybe not, in the nicest way, piss off fans, because at the end of the day, the fans are what have made this what it is. Well, the other thing that's um, a factor in that is that I think Cricket Australia do have the desire to make it uh, a, a proper home and away tournament, the Big Bash. At the moment, this year, each side is now playing um, 10 games. So they want to have every side play a further four games at some point in, in the not-too-distant future. That makes extra scheduling problems. Maybe they'll have a few more double-headers and condense the tournament a little bit that way. As far as the Sheffield Shield goes, I think that they'd be reluctant to do more than they've already done because for 150 summers it was basically, um, the, you know, it was what it was. And then they've now it's now a season in two halves. If you push it further to the periphery, if you're playing games in autumn, then I'd, you're not going to be able to play in any of the major uh, stadiums that, that are used for the AFL. Um, if you're playing games earlier in the season, then you wouldn't really want to be playing many games in Melbourne or Hobart in, in August. So you're starting to to cheapen the, one of the, the truisms of Australian cricket has been for years, that the Sheffield Shield is the strongest cricket competition outside of test matches and often stronger than test match competition. And that if we don't have our players really going through very challenging uh, four-day games, are we going to be able to produce high-quality test teams? There'd be people who'd say that already the uh, reduction in the prestige of the Shield has had an effect on the test team. So, it, you know, whoever's going to make all of these decisions for Cricket Australia is certainly going to earn their money. Now, let's just change gears a little. Uh, another news item that came out this week was the suspension of the young Sydney Thunder spin bowler, Arjun Nair. Um, he was suspended for a suspect action. Uh, not a, He was unavailable for the game of the Thunder v. the Stars. Now, this one came a little bit out of left field, uh, even for me as a Thunder fan. I mean, I hadn't heard any chatter about uh, Arjun's uh, action uh, leading up into the game. And apparently, uh, according to some news articles, there were three balls that he bowled in that game which he was uh, reported uh, reported by the umpires as suspect. Uh, and then he was subsequently tested by Cricket Australia and they deemed that his action had significantly changed uh, since the last time he was tested, which results in an automatic nine game, no, sorry, 90 day suspension. Paul, can, is there, can you just shed some light on, on the process of, of how this happened? And is this the right way to handle a 19 year old up and coming spinner? Well, I think that that's a, there's two interesting parts to that question. Firstly, I think that it's good that they have a mechanism by which if your bowling in games differs sufficiently from the testing, that that is an automatic ban because it's kind of almost, to draw an analogy, like if you, you don't turn up for a drugs test. It's not saying that you've uh, taken drugs, but we need to have a mechanism in place so that if 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 I know that I'm going to be tested under laboratory conditions and I think, oh, geez, I better get um, the arm very, very straight and I, I divert from what I normally do, then that's not ideal. So on that side of things, I think they've done things they've done things well. But yes, definitely, I agree with you on the 19-year-old um, being outed nationally and to an extent internationally as someone who throws the ball. The stigma uh, of, of chucking is enormous. Um, it's brutal, and I don't think that that's the way it should have been handled. Whether it should have been, you know, 
I actually had heard people talking about it, um, people saying, uh, geez, his action looks a little bit strange. So obviously people must have thought something. It should have been handled before it got to this stage. And given that it wasn't, then I would argue that it should have been uh, let go and handled in the uh, in the off-season. That we're only a few matches away for the sake of the welfare of a 19-year-old kid, then I would have said, let's leave it. And in the, in the, in the winter, away from prying eyes, do all the remedial work that we need. Don't announce that he's um, um, that he's he's done this. And he did. He then actually played in the next game. He didn't actually bowl. He just played as a batsman. So what his mindset would have been like playing in that game? Um, it's a it, it's a it's a very confronting thing. I think that he would have, would have had to face. And I have great sympathy for him. Bernie, I wanted to get your thoughts on this in the well, an article that I'm reading at the moment. It, Shane Watson's come out and said it. He's nine. He's a 19-year-old. Has been in the Australian pathway system for four or five years. So it's disappointing more than anything. He's an easy target to have a go at. But if a guy like Nair has been in the pathway for four or five years, I, I find it really difficult to believe that whoever's in charge of these pathways or whoever is tutoring or mentoring players in this pathway wouldn't have seen these deliveries or seen these, um, whatever you want to call them, inconsistencies or these you know, one-off deliveries and wouldn't have fixed them before now. Surely that's the entire point of the pathway is to make sure these players are on the right track, not get them to the point where they're in a big bash tournament, they're on the national stage, and then, pun- again, we come back to punishing the fans. Punish the fans by just exciting bowlers that the league has in a team which, in the nicest possible way to your boys, Bernie, probably won't make the finals and doesn't really have a lot of draw cards as it is to take that away from the fans after he's already been in the system for five years. Yeah, I'd 100% agree with uh, Shane Watson. I thought, uh, yeah, Arjun was certainly a soft target uh, as someone to go after. And and you you touched on it there, the the system that's around these types of young guys. Uh, I mean, all of these BBL teams have got international coaches with uh, you know, who coach to an international standard. I mean, they would be watching this guy bowl in the nets every day. They watch him bowl at the games. I mean, you know, you've got someone like Shane Watson played over, you know, 151 day games for Australia. Just the amount of experience around it for this to come out of left field. I think that's, that's what's so, so concerning as a fan. And uh, yeah, I would agree with you, Paul. I just don't think this was handled the correct, the right way. And hopefully he bounces back from it and and that this is a blip. But uh, as I said, it's a, it's a brutal thing to, to, to have to go through. Um, and, you know, hopefully that people aren't, um, aren't going to, to judge him by this. And he's only 19. Let's give him a chance. And Rob, uh, this was a topic we uh, we talked about on last show, and um, it was unveiled this week that the Optus Stadium in Perth, uh, there was a cap put on it this uh, last week of just 40,000 people when the stadium can fit 60,000. Uh, you mentioned there uh, before that um, some of the players have come out and uh, spoken uh, or uh, appealed to the uh, WA uh, Premier uh, to allow more than uh, 40,000 people at the game. Um, but it, it seems to be that the government is sticking to the message that they don't have enough infrastructure there um, to be able to get uh, more than 40,000 people packed into the uh, the new Optus Stadium. It's a really interesting thing that we have going over here in Perth, and as if people over east needed another reason to call us backwards, Bernie, but we'll, we'll move on from that aspect of things. But th- th- this is the problem that we have with Perth. We have a situation where we've just spent God knows how many millions of dollars. It's $1.6 billion, in fact, is what we've actually... Um, I should say, spent on this stadium. 60,000 said it's going to be brilliant. It's world-class. It's got X amount of things. They have all these records for all the first or the most in the Southern Hemisphere and all these different things. And they've come out and said, oh, actually, um, there's a bridge that runs across the Swan River and we haven't built that yet, so we're going to cap the crowd. (laughs) 
Um, we saw, I think it was Ashton Turner post-match against the Hurricanes talking to, to Tim Gossage, who's a bit of a Perth media personality. I'm sure there are people over east uh, who know of his work as well. We work 10, but he said, please, Mark, Mark being Mark McGowan, our, uh, our state premier, please give us 55. Um, so it, it, the players want it, it, which is no surprise. Obviously, if you're going to have a team coming in for a final, you want it to be as hostile and as unpleasant for them as possible. That's no surprise. That's nothing new. But the the thing with this is you've got 60,000 people and essentially the government's saying we're worried about them getting there. But I think they're missing the basic point, which is if people, the government, I think, would have within every right to, to come out and say, hey, yep, seat 60,000, we'll sell as many tickets as you want. But knowing that the the infrastructure for transportation to and from the venue isn't actually finished yet, be aware that even if you buy these tickets, you may arrive late. You may not even get there. You may not be let in. You may have to wait for an hour to get in or however long it is and make people aware of that. I think the government would have been within their rights to do that. But to come out and cap it is the problem that I have. At the end of the day, you're saying, oh, well, we think it's too inconvenient for you, so we're not going to let you try. In no other facet of adult life is somebody allowed to dictate what is and isn't convenient or what you are or are not willing to do to pursue what you want, whether that's in work, whether that's in sport or, or whatever it happens to be. So I think the Perth government's a, a little bit over the mark here, and I think they will end up opening it a, a little bit more, um, but I think they've made a really big deal out of something that could have just been, hey, Yep, buy your tickets, but I guarantee you'll all be whinging when the transport's not there, so be aware of that, and I think that's all that needed to be said. I think the thing that's interesting is that they're talking about it being a problem by being on a working afternoon and kind of at rush hour. Isn't that part of the problem as well, that as the people spill out of the Perth offices, that you're going to create a sort of a logjam throughout the whole city, and that's that's the other part of the problem. And so what they thought was that in the early days before that bridge is built, they would ensure that they would only schedule games for for nighttime or the weekends. And then all of a sudden, this game has kind of come along, not unexpectedly, but um, not completely on the plans. And that's where they've they've kind of got this situation. And I mean, it does just seem farcical from a, from a distance. Um, it also seems like it might be political. That I understand that it was, I think, was it the Liberal government that uh, first got the stadium up up and running, and now the Labor government are in and um, maybe. You know, it's in their interests to potentially um, make it not as not as much of a success as it otherwise could be. I hope that that's not the case. But um, hey, okay, how we need to do it? Let's get the, the fifty-five thousand, which I think the capacity for cricket will be. Let's get them in. Otherwise, it's going to look very disappointing. And guys, let's uh, look forward to the BBL action we've got coming up this week. Uh, now, as we're recording this, the uh, Renegade and the Strikers are going uh, head-to-head, so uh, we won't cover off that game. Uh, but Tuesday night sees the uh, Sydney Sixers host the Melbourne Stars uh, at the SCG. Uh, these are the teams in 7th and 8th at the moment. The last time these two teams met, the uh, the Sixers managed to sweep the floor with the Stars. Uh, Paul, how do you see this one turning out on Tuesday night? Well, it's, um, it does seem as though the Sydney Sixers uh, run into a little bit of form. It's hard to get too excited about who's going to win it. It would be, it would be nice to see um, some of the Melbourne Stars players uh, perform, especially Kevin Peterson. Uh, he's, I think it's now going to be his what, second last um, ever Big Bash game, and he's a polarising figure. But I, you know, as a hitter, I think he's absolutely fantastic. It would be great to see him have one last big beginnings in the big bash and it'll be interesting to see what what sort of crowd t- turns up it was a credit to melbourne that they got twenty four thousand to this fixture um the other day i'm not so confident in my own city that we'll get that many turning up to a game that doesn't matter but it would be it would be good if it was a, a somewhat decent crowd 
And on Wednesday night, we head to the nation's capital. This is the first game that's going to be played in Canberra at Monica Overall. It's the um, Sydney Thunders final game for BBL 07. Uh, they're playing the Renegades. Uh, now, depending on the result of the Renegades and the Strikers, the Thunders could if the uh, Renegades go down against the Strikers, the Thunder could potentially leapfrog uh, the Renegades and get into that fourth and final playoff spot. Um, plenty of scoreboard watching going to ha- be happening tonight for the um, Thunder fans. But, uh, Rob, how do you see this one playing out in Canberra? I think you've got a little bit of a, a pipe dream, Bernie, and I, I hate to say that. It seems like every time you speak, I end up just bashing you from pillar to post over your uh, your Thunder optimism. It, it is possible... Um, as we mentioned, look at some of the names that are going out for various different bit pieces. And um, the Renegades, they, they started the season quite strongly and they haven't been great over the last little while. So uh, entirely possible. I'll be looking forward. Um, obviously, Argentinaire won't be allowed to bowl in this one. So I'll be looking forward to see what the Thunder do with their, their bowling stocks. As we uh, saw just recently, they they don't seem to, to know, I guess, what they're doing with, with their bowling at times, and their batting can be a little bit sketchy as well. For the Renegades, if you, well, it's as simple, isn't it? You, you win and you're pretty much guaranteed finals, considering uh, that the, the Gades have actually played two less games at the moment than the Thunder, so, you know, you'd think that they have a couple more chances there to hold off the Thunder a little bit later on uh, in the tournament with the way that the fixturing's worked, but if, I guess I, I hope the Thunder can win, because I don't want the finals to be set in stone, you know, a week or a week and a half out from the from the actual finals beginning. I want a little bit of intrigue there, but I think the Renegades will get up in this one. Yeah, that would uh, certainly be a, uh, a juicy matchup. And, uh, look, it should be a great game down there in Canberra. I think, as I mentioned before, that's sold out. So 20,000 people are going to be packed in there to Monica Oval uh, to witness that one. And, uh, I mean, uh, Paul, the, the BBL's done that a few times uh, this season. And we obviously had the game in uh, Alice Springs. And I think uh, some of the, the women's BBL has been played out in country locations. How, how do you see that panning out for cricket in Australia? I, I guess sharing the love with the, uh, with other, uh, the other cities. In principle, I think it's a great idea. And unfortunately, what's happened this season is that the drop-in pitches that were used in Geelong, Launceston and Alice Springs so far have been disappointing and that they weren't a good advertisement for, for cricket. And that's where the, that's I think that's where the strategy um, will live or die. So I think they need to learn from that for, for next year and make sure that the, the drop-in wickets are conducive to massive scores and that if we're going to get... Um, you know, 3,900 people turned up at Alice Springs out of a city of, of 25,000 people. Um, what would that be in Sydney? That would be like 900,000 turning up or something like that. So it, it's a pity that they then turn up and saw um, a very low scoring affair. So get the pitches right and I'm all in favour of it. All right, fans, and we've arrived at the end of episode 10. Uh, I just want to say thank you very much, Paul, for jumping on and joining us for our uh, our 10th episode. And uh, what, what, what's, what have you got coming up uh, this summertime? Oh, well, I'm still doing the um, Our Big Bash podcast. So if anyone enjoys listening to your Big Bash podcast, which by definition, if you're listening to this one, you do, and you want some more, uh, go, uh, put in Big Smash Cricket Podcast into whatever uh, podcast app you're listening to, and you can listen to the one that Menes and I do as well. And uh, Rob, uh, where, where can fans catch you this week? Uh, what have you got coming up? Uh, Bernie, it's uh, my birthday on Wednesday, um, so I'll be hitting the big 2-5, um, which is, I imagine, just a little bit younger than some of the other people that we, uh, we've we been chatting to just now, but uh, no, so birthday on Wednesday, so you've got a whole heap of family things and, and different bits and pieces going on, but uh, I'll try and catch some cricket in between all of that, and I look forward to, to going cooking my uh, my 
or quarter of the chops in about 10 minutes' time over the cricket as well. So uh, plenty coming up. But, Paulie, I just wanted to say a big thank you to you for, for taking the time out to join us as well. It's uh, It's been great fun and uh, looking forward to hopefully having Menas on and maybe even making an appearance in your podcast uh, throughout the rest of the BBL as well. Sounds fantastic. I've really enjoyed it. Well, there we have it, fans. Episode number 10 uh, in the bag. Uh, if you want to reach out to Rob and I on Twitter, use the hashtag SummerSmashPodcast. Uh, you can find me at Bernie08Mac, and you can find Rob at at Robert double underscore Beaver. Uh, we've certainly had a ball recording this episode, and uh, we certainly got our eyes on the prizes. We head towards the finals in BBL07. The Summer Smash Podcast with Bernie Mac and the Beaver. <laughs>